Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, friends. So when I was young, I think my mom really instilled a very big fear of kidnapping for me. And I think she did this during our first trip to Thailand, but I was probably too young to actually remember the details. And so she told me that if I wasn't a good girl and I didn't stay by her, I would get kidnapped by a gang and then they would mutilate me they would either blind me by pouring bleach into my eyes or maybe like chop off my legs and then they would make money by making me back on the street and the thing is that during this trip i do remember a lot of young children and their moms begging on the streets and the thing is that now that we're older we do know that a lot of people are victimized by gangs that do this but the reality is that they would have made more money probably ransoming me back to my parents and so up to when I was a little bit older I was like genuinely scared that I would get kidnapped when we went to nearby countries for like holiday and this isn't great considering that my parents actually forgot about me a lot including on a beach in Bali where they said that they would be there after my surf class ended at like 4 but they only showed up at like 8 and in the meantime I could have totally been kidnapped but then again I was like 15 or 16 and I think it's usually more serious when it's like smaller children but you know that's just another story for another time the main thing is that whenever you think about children being kidnapped what you usually don't think about is a government agency separating a parent from the child and allegedly, but like essentially, taking that child away by surprise. And I always assume that when some sort of child welfare department gets involved, it's perfectly civil, you know, you get a lot of warnings, it would include a lot of help to try and facilitate keeping the child together with the parents as much as possible. What I did not imagine as possible is this. Norwegian child services distracting the parents, grabbing not just one child but two children and then running away. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, we are covering the case of Sagarika Chakraborty, a woman whose two children were taken away by child services in Norway, allegedly in this exact same manner. So this is an interesting case and I first found out about this case when I was having breakfast with Ruben's parents and then after that I went to watch the Netflix drama about it. So it's not actually a documentary, it's more like a dramatic movie about everything that happened and I think it's categorized as a legal drama. But what's also interesting is that in interviews with the actual person, Sagarika says that everything that happened in the film basically happened in real life. 
and she has also written a book about this but I couldn't find a copy or get my hands on it so a lot of the information in this case I'm going to pull from new sources that I was able to find online and also because of the film I'll fill in the gaps with maybe like what happened in the movie but I'll also let you know when I'm doing that because it's definitely going to be dramatized it's going to be fictionalized and so now the movie on Netflix is called Mrs. Chatterjee versus Norway and it is a dramatic dramatic reenactment of what happened but it's also very beautifully made and it was apparently filmed in Estonia and I was talking to Ruben about it and he was like yeah of course there's no way that Norway was going to allow a film that's like disparaging about them to be filmed in Norway. And it's also probably really expensive to film in Norway because like the cost of living in Scandinavian states and all that. So this is a case that actually happened in 2011. So just 12 years ago or so. And we start this case with Sagarita Chakraborty. So Sagarita was born in West Bengal, India. She was born on 4th November 1982, so today she's about 41 years old. Her parents were Shika and Manatosh, and she had three brothers. When this particular case happened, she would have been around 29, which is really interesting to me because I'm 29. And now what surprised me is that Sagarika was actually really well-educated, a fact that they didn't mention in the film until much later on. Now Sagarika had a bachelor's in science from the University of Kolkata, and at some point of time, she pursued a master's in computer software engineering at St. Xavier's College in Kolkata. She also had an MBA, a master's degree, a master's of business administration from the Indian Institute of Social Welfare and Business Management in Kolkata. So now this was a full two-year master's degree. So she was really, really well educated. And so she finishes her master's degree from 2005 to 2007. And after she graduated in 2007, she gets married to Anurab Bhattacharya. And Anurab is a geophysicist and a software engineer. And his parents were AJ and Krishna. And also an important point, he had a brother called Aruna Bas, who is a dentist. So after Sagarika and Anurag get married, they move to Norway because of Anurag's work. So she gets pregnant reasonably quickly and she leaves Norway to go back to Kolkata to have her first child in 2008, which makes sense considering the lower cost of living and the fact that she'll have a whole support system. And also, different countries do confinement differently, so it might be kind of nice to do confinement in the way that you're familiar with. So she had a son, and her son's name was Abigin. Now, it looked like he might have had autistic symptoms, but in 2009, Sakarika and Abigin, they go back to Norway, and literally a year later, she gets pregnant again. She gets pregnant with her second child, a daughter called Aishwarya. So at this point of time, Abigin, he's about three or so, right? So he gets enrolled in kindergarten. But at the same time that he's enrolled in kindergarten and she's pregnant, he starts to have some alarming behavioral issues. Like whenever he was agitated, he would slam his head onto the ground. 
And so another thing that happens at this point of time is that Sagarika and Anura, they end up adopting a very traditional family model. And Sagarika, she ends up completely taking care of the home, she ends up being a housewife, a stay-at-home mom, and Anura becomes the main breadwinner. And not just that, he ends up working very long hours. So Sakarika is all alone at home with her son. And she doesn't have many support systems. And she doesn't really speak the language. And in the movie, specifically in the movie, they make it look like she's purposely isolating her. But I think also in reality, it's a bit harder to make friends. Especially when you don't speak the language or you don't speak like a common language like English confidently. And I don't think that Norway has a particularly strong Indian expat community. So now in November 2010, while Sagarika is really, really pregnant, she's like in her last trimester, they get a visit from the Child Welfare Services in Norway. So it's spelled Barnavanet, but I think it's pronounced Barnavane. So it's a bit hard to pronounce, so we'll just call it the Child Welfare Services of Norway or the Norwegian Child Welfare Services. And the reason for this visit is because Abigail's kindergarten was concerned about his connection with his mom. And the reason for this is because his dad was the one who picked him up and dropped him off from school. And his dad was also the one who attended parent-teacher meetings and follow-ups. So anyway, to get a visit from Child Welfare Services, they see that she's very pregnant, so they kind of just take a couple of notes and then leaves. So after this, Sagarika, she gives birth to her second child, and then she starts raising her kids. And I think like a lot of only children, eldest children, especially because he wasn't neurotypical, he had a lot of issues. Her son had a lot of issues with his younger sister. So for example, when he saw Sagarika breastfeeding, he would get angry. And so we're going to take a pause and take note that when looking at this case, it's important to remember that we only have one perspective because the Norwegian government obviously doesn't come out and publicly state how it does its counselling, how it does its observation, and of course this is a case involving children. One thing we should know about Norway when we look at this case is that it's one of the strictest countries in the world when it comes to children's welfare. So it actually has a court, a children's ombudsman, for child welfare but in the same time in recent years their child welfare services has come under fire for being too strict to the point where it almost looks like it does more harm than good and while researching the case i came across articles where people were actually protesting against the child welfare services so take with this information as you will so back to sagarika apparently the way that this was framed to her was that someone was going to come and teach her and help her and counsel her family on how to take care of them better and how to take care of her children better, which honestly sounds great. But instead of that, when the counsellor came, when the child welfare services came, they would just sit in one corner and take notes. And according to her, there wasn't any suggestions, there wasn't any training. It was just sitting there and taking notes and apparently became very uncomfortable because... Imagine just having a guest in your house every day that you aren't even friends with. 
So even on days where she didn't feel well, when she was feeling sick or tired, they would come over. And there were times where she wanted to sleep because you're supposed to sleep when the baby sleeps, which is apparently a thing. But instead of being able to sleep, she would just have to like hang out and try to get her chores done because there was somebody observing her. And so we're going to fast forward through a couple of months of this. Now, at this point, Aishwarya, she's a couple of months old, and so she has to go for her vaccinations. So Sagarika brings her to the clinic for her injections, but sometimes when you do get vaccinations, you get a fever, you get a little bit sick. Because babies don't know what's happening, Aishwarya was uncomfortable and crying, and Sagarika was doing her best to take care of her. So now she tries to tell the child welfare people what's happening and what's going on with her daughter and how she wouldn't be able to properly host a visit but they still insisted on coming and this is allegedly what happened on the day. So they arrived in the morning and they started asking a lot of questions like who made breakfast and maybe something like implying why didn't the husband help make breakfast, why didn't Anurab help make breakfast? Which Honestly, if you watch any reality TV, it's a bit of a shit-stirring question to ask. So anyway, the way that it was set up, it sounds like they kind of started a little argument which may speculatively perhaps been on purpose because then the child welfare services people, they were like, oh, why don't I take the kids on a walk so that you can actually finish your work and cleaning your house because you are so tired and everything from the vaccinations. And then they leave with the baby and about an hour later, they call them to tell them that they were not getting their children back. So they just, they just went like, oh, we're going for a walk and then they just never returned. And later, they would justify this because they would say that this was an quote-unquote emergency. And so, why were her children taken from her? There were a couple of reasons that the child welfare services put forth. And they said that the environment set up for the children, it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't set up correctly. They thought that the hand feeding, because... Um, in some South Asian families, they hand feed or they eat with their hands. They thought the hand feeding was force feeding, which is something that is brought up a lot in the movie also. They also thought that sleeping with parents was wrong, uh, which again is not just a South Asian thing. I think happens quite commonly in most Asian countries, especially until the kids are a bit older. And so these were the points that were brought up a lot in the movie. But there were also other things that I found during my research. So for example, according to one of the news sources, it says that Sagarika apparently slapped the kids once, so one time. And I feel like this might have been the thing to do it because even a mild slap, a small slap in Norway is considered out of line in terms of like child abuse. And I think this might have been the thing to do it, not the cultural, quote-unquote, cult cultural differences. You know, at the same time, I feel a bit, like, weird about it. But at the same time, living in Singapore, living in an Asian country, it's definitely not uncommon to hear about parents slapping their children or, like, even caning them. And the thing is that it's not uncommon to be smacked 
by your teachers. At least it wasn't when I was growing up. Like, yeah. So, but I can imagine that if it hasn't been normalized in your culture, you you would see it as like a massive thing. Like, how could you hit your child in any way? So another thing that they brought up was how Sagari Gash would breastfeed her child. How she would breastfeed Aishwarya whenever she cried instead of breastfeeding on a regular schedule. And this one I felt a bit strange because surely if there was a proper way to do it, they should have told her. So some of the things I found a bit questionable, some of the things were a bit more understandable. After... Um, Sagarika and Anurab, they weren't even allowed to visit until two days after. So imagine being separated from very young children for two days. And apparently what was going to happen was that Abigyan and Aishwarya, their son and daughter, were going to be put into foster care with foster parents. And Sagarika and Anurab, they were only going to be able to see them twice a year until they became 18. And so they told Sagarika this during one of the visits and and she became a bit hysterical. She became she became so angry. And they took this, they filmed this and they took this as an example of Sagarika being unstable, which I think is a bit unfair because how can you tell somebody that and expect them not to react emotionally? So now this becomes a massive thing. It becomes literally a diplomatic incident between India and Norway because when you think about it, it wasn't even India that was trying to put their child into welfare. It was an entirely different country where they weren't even citizens. So Sagarika's parents, they appealed to different political figures, including the West Bengal chief minister, Mamata Banerjee, and so there were protests on protests. There were protests at the Norwegian embassy in India. But they also managed to get the political support. Sagarika and her family, they also managed to get the political support of people like Brinda Karat, who was a West Bengal politician, and Sushma Swaraj, who at one point of time was the Minister of External Affairs of India. So now, we're going to flip back to what happens in the movies because I really recommend um, watching the movies, which are a little bit propaganda-y. Now, there's a whole shady lawyery thing that happens in the movies, which portrays the child welfare services of Norway very badly. And in the movie, they also allege that the reason why they do this is to make money because somehow more children in welfare means more money, which I, I don't particularly understand. And like the whole time the Norway appointed lawyer, the second Norway appointed lawyer, he was just completely dismissing Sagarika. And the child welfare services staff, they just kept rolling their eyes and smirking and just being completely condescending. But the reality is that I cannot imagine any sort of civil servant in this particular serious situation acting in that way. So I think... I'm a bit skeptical of that. I assume because this case involves children, a lot of this, I couldn't find any reliable sources that reported on it. But in the end, Sagarika and her family, they end up with some sort of private agreement to bring the kids back to India. But the children wouldn't go into custody of Sagarika or her parents. The kids were going into custody of Anurat Bhattacharya's brother, the dentist, Aruna Bahas Bhattacharya, which 
Also, it's a bit strange but kind of makes sense because if they already deemed Sagarika and her husband unfit parents, it's a bit strange to be giving the children back to them. So it was given to the brother. So now, around the same time, Sagarika and Anura, they separated. They filed for divorce in 2012. And later on, Anura, he would say a lot of disparaging things about Sagarika, including that she was very childish, she was very immature. Now, Anurab stays in Norway and Sagarika goes back to India to be with her children. And in India, she alleges that her in-laws, that her brother-in-law and her ex-parents-in-laws, they were not giving her permission to see the children. And also, she alleges that they were not taking care of the children properly. And so, she goes to court again. And finally, on January 10th, 2013, the Kolkata High Court returns custody of her two children back to their mum. Now, after all this happened, Sagarika actually had spent a lot of time as either a stay-at-home mum or dedicated to fighting for her children back in the court. So she had been kind of out of work for a while, but I think she really got her life together. So she went back to get her master's in computer application in St. Xavier's College in Kolkata and from what I can see she's gone on to have a really successful career as a full-stack developer which is very impressive and from what we can assume I think her ex-husband is still based in Norway but we don't have any concrete um, information on that and according to her he has also not given any sort of child support which is more reflective of him than anything and also it's a bit sad that now because she is a single parent she has to work especially hard to take care of her family including her father who's a heart patient so her kids are being raised in another city by her parents while she works in Uttar Pradesh so I think after the movie the Norwegian government they obviously had to come out and defend themselves and in a statement they basically said that kids would never have been taken away based on cultural differences. The other thing they said is that child welfare is not driven by profit and the reason for placing children in alternative care is if they are subject to neglect, violence or abuse. Following the release of the film, the Norwegian ambassador, he also criticised the film and says that it was an incorrect depiction of Norway's beliefs in family life and respect for different cultures. And then a representative of child protection also said that this is not the story as it happened, but the film probably reflects the violent feelings that this case triggered in the family and in India. So it's very divisive. So apparently this isn't too unusual of a case, or at least this isn't uncommon enough that you can't easily find similar cases. In fact, when I was googling this, I found that there is an ongoing case involving Indian parents Bavesh and Dara Shah and their child being taken away by Child Protective Services in Germany. So there is actually a hashtag going around, hashtag boycott Germany on this case. So what do you think about this case? Do you think that the Norwegian government may have been justified? Or do you think that they did the family dirty? Anyway, as always, you can find us online at abriefcase.com or on Instagram at abriefcasepodcast. And do join us 
next week for another briefcase. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.